You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. Tara Motier is a local portrait photographer, graphic designer, and business owner of Dragonfly Photo and Design. She also works part-time with Company Vitals as a member of their team offering CFO services to businesses. Born and raised in Canada, she and her husband Jeff moved to Boise 27 years ago. Other than a year and a half in Italy, they've lived and raised their family in the Treasure Valley. Sister Motier has served in Primary and Relief Society Presidencies, Ward and Stake Young Women's Presidencies, and currently serves as the Communications Director for the Meridian Victory Stake. Tara maintains that her favorite place to serve is in the nursery. She loves camping, kayaking, traveling, reading, and baking. The Motiers are the parents of four adult children. I'm sure all of you will enjoy her message today. Just got to find somewhere to stash my emotional support water bottle here. Friends, I am excited to be here with you tonight. I love young adults. All four of my kids and my three kids-in-law happen to be the same age ranges as all of you. Our house is often the meeting slash hangout slash raid the pantry place for them and all of their friends. When my youngest, Georgia, left for BYUI last fall after being home all summer, I asked her who was going to keep me young and hip, and her friend Sophia graciously agreed to help me out with this. She sends me texts to keep me up on current lingo, but sadly I've fallen behind on my studies, so I'm just going to apologize right now for being a very poor reflection of her excellent instruction. From my relationships with my kids and their friends, I know a little bit about the challenges you face, the trials you've overcome, the decisions that lay ahead for you. At the same time, I am wowed by your innovation, your creativity, your compassion, and your love for Jesus. You fill my heart with confidence for the future of the church. Okay, so a little bit more about me. I was born in a small town in south-central British Columbia, Canada. That is just north of Spokane. I am the third of six children. There's three boys and three girls in my family. My parents were both from southern Alberta, which is basically the Utah of Canada. And while we would visit our grandparents often, we never lived in areas where the church um, was very strong. So as such, there's some really fun places that I've attended church meetings. This includes primary in the really creepy basement of an old white building with a giant cross on top. Then after a move in grade school, I met with our branch in the old school gym until a first phase building was constructed in our small town. There was definitely a big stray dog who joined us for sacrament meetings, and I am positive he was more reverent than my siblings and I. Another cool place, um, when Jeff and I took our family to live in Italy, we made the 40-minute drive to a branch that met in the coolest second-story apartment of a really old building just off the town center. In the back of the room that they used as a chapel, there were these two recessed alcoves. 
and they had long narrow slits that opened up to the courtyard and the main entrances of the apartment. A member explained to us that those alcoves were designed by the original builder so many decades before to defend the apartment against intruders. They would point their guns through those openings and they could fire at people trying to come in. Thankfully, we never had cause to use those. In the summer before my grade 10 year, uh, my family moved to a small town called Panoka in central Alberta. Panoka was notorious because of the provincial mental institution there. We actually never told anyone we were from Panoka if we could help it. Um, because then they would give us this knowing nod, knowing nod and say, are you from Panoka or are you from Panoka? We were part of a ward family that met in a town 30 minutes away. For Sunday meetings, youth activities, ward activities, etc., we were in the car. This made 9 a.m. church a huge challenge for my teenage self. This might date me a little, but the best invention of my teen years was the butane curling iron that allowed me to curl my hair on the way to church, you know, because I had to have my bangs just so. There was one other member family in Pinoca who also had two high school students. So my younger brother and I spent the next three years doing early morning seminary with our mom and their mom taking turns teaching year to year. I've already established that I struggled with mornings, so the years that my mom taught at our house, I would literally roll out of bed and into class. She finally had to put her foot down and tell me that I absolutely must be dressed for seminary. I'm sure she threatened car privileges or something like that. There was this one legendary day that my brother and I still reminisce about fondly. Uh, the seminary superintendent was coming to visit our class of four students, and my mom was very anxious about that. She wanted everything to go perfectly. She always put a great deal of time and prayer into her lessons, but for this one, even more so. Brother Litchfield arrived, and we students assembled around the big round church table in our downstairs family room. We made our introductions, and then my mom sent my brother upstairs to play the piano. It was just right at the top of the stairs, so he played loudly, and we could all hear. Uh, he starts the intro to the opening song. We're all sitting there with our hymn books. And he finishes the intro and then starts the first verse of the song on the facing page. And as seminary students, we just sang right along like nothing was happening. And my mom and poor brother Litchfield were so confused. That really threw my mom off. She was really nervous after that. Come to think of it, this might explain the chocolating and feathering that we got the next year as we studied church history. But that is a story for another time. It was always expected that we would go to college after graduation. In fact, during my last year of high school, I got half a set of luggage for Christmas and the other half of that set for my birthday two weeks later. When I enrolled at the University of Lethbridge, it was in a course of study to be a high school French teacher. I had so many plans. I was going to nanny abroad. I was going to travel. I was going to perform. You'll notice getting married was definitely not one of those plans. <clears throat> My roommates and I lived in a cozy basement suite on one side of town, and the school was on hours bus ride to the other side of town. There was this thing called the Latter-day Saint Student Association, and Jeff Motier was the president. I still remember when I saw him for the first time. He was addressing us at a welcome fireside, and I remember thinking that not only was he cute and funny, 
but he lived on the same side of town as I did, and he had a car. The tea regarding our courtship is piping hot, but we will have to serve that another time. I'll just hit some of the highlights. It just happened that our first one-on-one -on -one conversation took place on the Institute shuttle that ran kids from campus to the Institute building. It was when I was one of the last people on the bus, and so it was already packed. The only seat left open was next to Jeff, the Jeff Motier. Mind you, I was painfully shy at this time, but I had decided that college was a time to be brave, and I also wanted that ride across town. So the, I sat down next to him, and the ensuing conversation went something like this. I said, hi, my name is Tara. And he said, hey. <laughs> and I said, um, so you're from Calgary. My sister lives in Calgary. And he said, huh. That three-minute ride was the longest ride of my entire life. What a jerk, right? <laughs> I don't know how we went from that to him asking me on a date, but I definitely invited my roommates to join us because, remember, I'm not getting married. We saw The Little Mermaid when it was first released in the theater. Another thing dating me just a little bit. We are that old. There was this other time where my roommates and I rented a city bus. Yep, a city bus. And we had it pick up him and his roommates and take them on a scavenger hunt around town. <clears throat> they had no idea who had invited them on this date. The first clue had them stopping to buy us flowers, and then another clue led them to a stop for gum and mints at 7-Eleven, and then the final clue led them to the Institute building and where they drew names to see which of us was their date for the evening. We had set up a picnic of Mickey D's burgers and fries. It was epic. Since I know you were dying to know, no, Jeff was not my date for the evening, but I was secretly hoping he would draw my name. The basement suite that we lived in had this bubble window over a window seat that allowed us to see the front walk of the house and allowed us about five seconds between when we saw someone approaching and when the knock at the back door came. So that Valentine's Day, Jeff was over hanging out with my roommates and I, uh, when a roommate spotted a suitor coming down the path. I had really tried to dissuade this boy gently after a first date, but he was really persistent. I took cover and sent one of the other girls up to the door. She told him that I wasn't home, but she graciously took the ice cream cake and flowers and brought them downstairs where Jeff shared them with my roommates and I. Um, then this boy left on a mission, and end of story, right? Until about 10 years ago when we took our family to visit my parents in Canada, and this boy had moved into my parents' ward with his family, and he told my kids that he used to date their mom. They had so many questions. But back to my story. So Jeff and I ended up getting to be really good friends. We would even set each other up on dates with other people. However, by early March, it was evident to both of us that there was more to this relationship than my transportation needs. Despite the conflicted feelings I had about marriage and all of my plans, the decision to get married was an easy one for me once I had prayed and received that confirmation. It was a decision, though, that was quite unpopular with my family, and understandably so. I was 19. Thankfully, I recognized how the Spirit spoke to me, and I was confident in my decision. Even after I busted him washing his 1981 Volkswagen Jetta 
in pink running shorts and rocking out to Rick Astley. Even then, I knew that I was meant to spend eternity with Jeff Motier. So nothing that I've said to this point will give you a clue as to my current profession, so let me tell you a little bit about that. Jeff and I realized when we were dating that we shared an interest in photography. For one date, we, um, he had some really cool camera equipment, so he set up the camera on a tripod, we wore white t-shirts and jeans, you know, with the pegged legs. We used a single rose as a prop, and he set the timer and took some really awesome black and white photos of the two of us. JK, Georgia unearthed them a few weeks ago, and they were pretty cringy. <laughs> when his company started sending him overseas for work in 1999, we invested in a nice film camera for him to take on his travels. Our third child, Cooper, was just five months old when Jeff's work called, asking if he would consider taking his family on a three-month uh, work assignment to Italy. It was an easy and enthusiastic yes for me. Less than 10 days later, we hauled our three kids and 5,000 pieces of luggage to the airport to start our adventure. Cooper was a really colicky baby. He was not content to sit in a hotel room all day long. So as often as possible, I packed up the kids and the camera and went exploring. I took thousands of photos. Our three-month stint turned into five months, and then we were asked to stay for another year. While Jeff worked, I explored, ate obscene amounts of gelato, and took more pictures. That expat experience was so much richer because of the personal connections made in our branch. Our first Sunday there, there was a woman who was the chorister. She gave a talk in sacrament meeting. She said a prayer in Sunday school and taught Relief Society without a single complaint. It was pretty amazing and taught me a lot. Initially, we were hit and miss with our attendance because the apartment we met in was in the heart of downtown. And if we weren't early enough for church, they would close the road and block it off for the market that day. And we didn't know any other way to get there. This was before GPS on our phones. So the next week we decided we'd better go find an alternate route for church because the chances of us getting there early every single week with our little family were slim to none. One Sunday as we drove home from church, I asked the kids what they had learned in primary. Six-year-old Marley answered, nothing, we just played with toys. I was outraged. Those missionaries knew better. And as I opened my mouth to tell Jeff that these missionaries should know how important gospel instruction is at this age, this distinct impression stopped me in my tracks and said, it is your job to teach your family the gospel. I thought, okay. So between the time that we had our, our short stint there and we were gonna go back for the year long stay, we had to come and get visas. So when we came back to the US, I made a trip to the distribution center and I bought all of the primary materials in English and in Italian. We got back to Italy and the branch president called me in and he said he was really cute. He's from the Ivory Coast and so Italian is not his native tongue. He actually spoke French, which was great for me because I probably at that point did better in French than Italian. And so, with our limited communication, he said, I want to call you to primary. And I said, this is great. I have all the things. So what do you want me to do? Should I teach the lesson? Should I do the music? What part of primary do you want me to do? And he said, he looked really confused. And he said, primary, you are primary. <laughs> 
So between our kids and another expat family and the branch members, there were nine primary children, two of which were nursery age. The oldest girl, Ariana, was 10 and she had been learning some English in school. So I would teach half the lesson in English, half the lesson in, in Italian. She would help me with my pronunciation. I would help her with her English. It was a great arrangement. Uh, we did this with the music too. We would sing half the song in Italian and half the song in English. I still can't hear Follow the Prophet without remembering my little singing, Seguil Profeta. It was adorable. My time in the branches primary allowed me to really solidify my command of the language, and that was such a blessing. That allowed me to really connect with the local people in our exploring. And I love that I am still in touch with my little primary girls. When we returned to Idaho, friends started asking me to take portraits for them. Then their friends asked me to take pictures for them. Jeff finally told me that I needed to either make it a business or start turning people down and just shut it all down. This is when Dragonfly photo, design, photo and Design came to be. While starting out, I didn't charge much, just enough to support my photography habit. When I bought my first DSLR, the salesman at the camera shop offered to mentor me. So I would stop in weekly so he could give me tips and pointers and something to work on in the next week. This was in the olden days before YouTube and Pinterest. So I bought books and studies, studied and made so many mistakes like that one outdoor wedding ceremony in 2006, where the bride and groom exchanged vows in the bright sunlight. And then we moved to some areas with better lighting for portraits with just the two of them. I shot through the viewfinder and so I was, and I was really nervous about shooting this wedding. It was the first wedding I'd ever done. For some reason, I didn't even look at the back of the camera. I have no idea why, I cannot explain it. The wedding ends, and I go back to my car and I'm exhilarated. I just shot my first wedding. Uh, <laughs> I get home and I can't wait to get those pictures from the memory card to the computer. And uh, they finally load and I open them up in Bridge and I was nauseous. I felt physically ill. My heart sank. The pictures were so dark. All of the pictures of the couple you could hardly distinguish them in these images. They were so dark. And I was devastated. You can't retake wedding photos. So I just closed the laptop, walked away, agonized it over it for about a week. And finally I thought, okay, well, I've got to do something about this. Got another book, did some research. This was in my early days of using Photoshop. And so I studied it out and figured out how to fix these images in Photoshop. They turned out to be, to be some of my favorite images. They still are. This mistake helped me find my editing style. And throughout all of this time while I was working, taking pictures, the gospel helped me find balance and maintain my perspective as I navigated the needs of my family and my calling and this little business. I was definitely not perfect at it, but thankfully there were many Relief Society lessons or activities on that topic when the Spirit would nudge me to shift my focus. 
Over the years, my photo photography skills were honed as I volunteered in the programs my kids were involved in. I took pictures at swim meets, at field trips, at musical performances. I learned about graphic design as there was a need for it with the swim team and choir programs. I also learned as a camp, or also served as a camp photographer for many young women's camps, and I designed theme posters for Relief Society and Young Women's. When my oldest son, Brad, was set apart for his mission, President Keel instructed him to use his talents to bless the lives of others in his service. This line made my heart so happy. I had always felt inadequate in my church service because I was not a scriptorian who could recall the perfect scripture for any occasion and recite it from memory, and I wasn't a dynamic and engaging teacher, and I couldn't just make notes and deliver an inspiring message. Obviously, I still can't <laughs> because my anxiety would cause my mind to go completely blank. This message helped me recognize that I had specific talents that were also important. My gift of leadership and organization and my photographic and design skills were just what the Lord needed from me. And the more I used those skills to build the kingdom, the more I learned about those areas that also helped me in growing my business. Once Georgia, my youngest, was in middle school, that's when I thought, okay, it's time to really grow this business. But instead, I felt prompted to volunteer more for my kids' activities at the high school, choir and swim team. I spent a lot of hours, anywhere from 5 to 15 a week, with the students in choir. I helped fit them for uniforms. I was on the booster board. I planned fundraising events. I chaperoned choir tours. I was also on the board for the swim team and helped take pictures and raise funds and design shirts. Sometimes, I wondered why I was supposed to take that direction. And then I was called to serve in the Stake Young Women's. I loved being able to call so many of the youth by name as they came to the Stake dances. There was this one time when Jeff and I were traveling and I stopped to buy water before boarding the flight. In that convenience store in the airport, there was a girl that I remembered from choir, but I could not remember her name. I knew the face, but not her name. She had graduated a couple of years before. I was in a panic. I took way too long to decide what brand of water to buy. I just could not think of her name. So I thought, oh well, and I went to check out and she wished, she obviously recognized me. She gave me this big smile and she wished me a good day. And I responded with, thanks, you too. And her name was just there. It just rolled right off my tongue. Her face lit up and her whole countenance changed as she said, you remembered my name. And that was such an important lesson for me. I knew that I hadn't remembered her name, but that the Lord had put it on my tongue at just the right moment. Through volunteering at school, I was very aware of some of the specific needs and challenges of the youth and could use that in my calling. It just all made sense. It was this beautiful circle of all of these areas of my life working together. So in the summer of 2019, I was still serving in the Stake Young Women's Presidency. So like I said, I had responsibility for coordinating the monthly youth dances with four other stakes at that time. Those dances were a good time. I mean, I, I thought so. I had spent most of the summer working with a few of the young women from our stake youth committee on this big stake activity for the 14 and 15 year old girls that was gonna be held in October. Those young women had observed the needs of their peers and together we decided on a theme that would hopefully bless the lives of their sisters. 
In early August, though, Jeff and I got some news that sent us both reeling. I think it would be accurate to say that it was the emotional low point of my entire life. Just getting out of bed took Herculean effort. I withdrew from friends. I was in mourning, and we had chosen not to tell anybody at that point in time while we, while we figured out what was next. On several occasions, as that activity got closer, I almost picked up the phone to let someone know, I cannot do this. I could not give it the time and attention that it needed, that those young women needed someone more emotionally available than what I was at that time. I was overwhelmed and I was grieving and I had given so much time to the Lord and now I needed to focus on myself and my family. I wanted to be released, but I couldn't make that call. Every time I picked up that phone, I think, I'll just get through this next meeting and then I'll hand it off. Or I'll just plan this next aspect and then I'll give it to somebody else. And then suddenly it felt way too late to ask someone to take it over. I finally shared my struggle with the sisters that I served with, and those incredible women rolled up their sleeves, and they not only helped carry off that activity, but they carried me as well. As I delivered the closing message of that activity, I felt this incredible warmth and had this amazing aha moment. So this activity, we had been planning the whole time, we'd been planning this activity called the Service Cure. The sweet girls planning it had each thought about a challenge or struggle that they had. Then they prayerfully chose a service that they would focus on for a set amount of time. And at the end of that period of time, we did a video interview where they talked about how the service they had rendered impacted their challenge. And then we shared that video at the activity. So as I delivered the closing remarks, I knew these three things for sure, that the Lord knew me and he knew perfectly well what I was going through. Two, that this type of service therapy was the very thing that had kept me going to this point and would be the best thing for me in the future. And three, that everything would be okay. Now, I'm still in that story. I would love to tell you about this happy, tidy ending that's all wrapped up in sunshine and rainbows. I'm really looking forward to finding out exactly what okay looks like. But I focus on Jesus and the end goal. I go to the temple for renewed peace. I read the scriptures and review conference talks. I make meaningful connections with my family. I serve and I love people, like really love people because everyone has hard things, right? Now this diagnosis combined with my impending empty nester status was the catalyst for some change for me. Sister Craig's October 2018 conference talk about divine discontent comes to mind. If you're not familiar with this talk, you should look it up. As I thought about what change I needed to make, the Spirit led me to three options. I could go back to school and get a degree. I could take my part-time business full-time, or I could get a job. For three years, I had this feeling, yet the specific direction didn't come. When my kids were enrolling for their college classes, I would check out pathways and look at the course offerings and see if there was something that was a good fit for me. I signed up for emails to get notifications on jobs that would be a good fit for my talents. And I contemplated the impact of a full-time photography business. 
every once in a while, I would think I had the answer and I would take it to the Lord and he would say, nope. I mentioned this divine discontent to a good friend during a visit to Utah last August. She had this amazing job that she loved. She worked for Company Vitals. She asked how I felt about accounting. And I said, well, I mean, I rocked the accounting class that I took in high school, so that means I'm basically a pro, right? She told her boss about me, and um, well, actually, before she even told her boss about me, she said, maybe take some accounting classes and um, see how you feel about it, and we'll touch base when you're finished those classes. This was just weeks before the my third wedding in a year, and so I looked at classes, and it just didn't feel right, and I also admittedly was feeling pretty overwhelmed with just life in general, so I did not enroll in any classes. Well, a week after the wedding, she called me, and she said, you didn't register for classes, did you? And I said, no, I'm so sorry. I would love to work with you, but I, I just couldn't do it. And she said, oh, good. I told my boss about you and he wants to meet you. Can you do it? Can you send a resume and do a phone interview? And um, <laughs> so I send the resume and while I knew I've done some pretty great things in my life and I'm pretty capable, I knew I was not in the least bit qualified for this job. But after the interview, Jen texted me and said, you killed it. Do you have time for another interview? And I was so relieved. I told her that was the first job interview I've had in 29 years. When they offered me the job, I talked about it with Jeff and then took it to the Lord and finally had the confirmation that this is what I was supposed to do. Now, this job is so far out of my comfort zone, and I am still maintaining my photography business. So there were about six weeks in the fall where I kept thinking, why am I doing this? I am an Apple diehard. They were making me use Windows. If that isn't reason to quit, I don't know what is. <laughs> I had to really rely on that confirmation that I'd already had. This is where I was supposed to be. And it's gotten easier. I love what I'm learning. I still don't really understand, don't understand. Let me start that again. I still don't really understand the why of it, and that's okay. So through all of these experiences I've told you about and many, many more, I've made a few observations about how the gospel of Jesus Christ has blessed my life. The gospel of Jesus Christ has taught me how to truly love others. It has taught me how I hear the Lord's voice, and it's also helped me trust in His timing. It has taught me to appreciate diversity in opinions and how to work effectively with people I don't necessarily share values with. It has taught me that mistakes are part of learning. Own it, make it right, move forward. The gospel of Jesus Christ has given me a village in every place that we've lived. It has taught me leadership and communication skills. I know that everything I am and have is because of Jesus. I have never questioned my testimony, but I am so grateful for the tender mercies that have confirmed over the years that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I say this in His name. Amen. Okay, he says there's questions now. Uh, my question is, when you're talking about finding a job and looking at your next path in life, you said you took 
the, answer, the question to the Lord and it was no? How did that process look like and how did that answer come to you? So how does the Lord tell me no? <laughs> he, for me, usually that no answer is like a stupor of thought. Like I just can't wrap my head around it. Sometimes I'll pretend that um, or try to imagine myself moving forward with that decision and, and what that looks like. And I just I can't visualize it. It, for me, I've learned that that's a really distinct no, that, um, that sometimes it's just that stupor of thought. Yes? I'm almost embarrassed to ask this um, because maybe I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> you mentioned the diagnosis. Did she say what the diagnosis was or, or do you prefer not to? I don't. So I did. You asked about the diagnosis that I shared. Um, I, I didn't share the specific diagnosis. Sometimes I have a hard time talking about it and I didn't want to be a blubbering mess up here, but he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So that really changes what our future, what we thought our future was going to look like. So happier questions. Come on, give me, give me something cheerful now. Where did you live in Italy? We lived in Avezzano. It was, um, it's actually right smack in the middle of Italy north, south, east, west, and the branch we attended was in L'Aguila. And is George's name spelled the English way or the Italian way? Oh, that was such a hard decision. So you asked if George's name was spelled the English way or the Italian way. I really wanted to name her Georgia and spell it the Italian way because when we were living there, we ate in restaurants often that first five months we lived in a hotel. So. 90% of the time we were eating in a restaurant. Over there, they don't start their meals. The restaurants don't even open until 7 p.m. And then it's an all-night affair, which is really hard when you have little, little kids. So I took a whole arsenal of um, toys and coloring things and just activities to keep the kids busy during this evening-long process. And one time, this cute little curly-haired Italian girl with big giant brown eyes came over and just picked up crayons and started coloring in my kid's coloring book. And they, of course, moved over and let her, let her color. And I had just learned how to ask what your name is. So, so I said, Bambina, come ti chiami? And she looked at me and she said, Mi chiamo Giorgia. And she rolled that R and I melted. So when we found out we were having a girl, I told Jeff 100% naming her Georgia. And he said, you are not gonna have a curly haired little Italian girl. She had curls, just telling you that. But the debate was, do we wanna spell it the Italian way or and do we want her having to spell it for people her entire life? And we opted for spelling it the American way, like the state. Any other questions? Yes. Um, I was just going to ask, have you found success in your startup business? And uh, have you seen the Lord of the Spirit work? Oh, 100% yes. 100% yes. So I've... One of the reasons I didn't take it full time is because it's photography is such a creative thing. And, and I love, love, love it. And I was worried that I would get burned out on it when it becomes a job and something I have to do. I, 
that was a concern. I also, to take it full time, would probably mean working more weddings, which involves weekends. And with Jeff's diagnosis, I really felt like I wanted to spend my weekends with him and with my family and making memories. And I didn't want to be tied to wedding after wedding after wedding. So that was kind of a twofold decision.